grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning on our nation's uh, high holy day that we like to call Super Bowl Sunday, <laughs> I would like to talk to you about discipline and the discipline it requires to live the life as a Christian. The disciplines that God gives us, the training he puts us through, as Paul wrote, the race that we run, not to just run it, but to obtain the prize, the upward calling of heaven. Well, I was thinking about that this weekend. Yesterday, John had basketball practice for third grade, and I'm helping coach this year. Thankfully, not the head coach. Uh, I thank Gus Linke and Brock Helms for their work. <laughs> but you notice as they go through practice, the drills we do, running through the plays again and again and again and again. <laughs> All this that they do, you know, third graders and kids, they don't really like it. They don't want to do that. They want to play knockout. They want to play games. They want to run around and just shoot hoops. And then they want to scrimmage at the end of that. Because at the end of our practice, we scrimmage the fourth graders as they come in to practice. That's what they want to do. So for the first hour or so, they're just kind of going through it. And yeah, I know it. I know it. Well, come game, come game time, what happens? All of a sudden, they have defenders on them. They have pressure. They have a guy trying to get the ball from them. They're trying to run a play, and they're not quite sure what they're doing. It's just a crazy mess out there. They've forgotten what they've done because they weren't disciplined in their practice. They're trying to run all the way through it, and it just, it's just not happening. And therefore, the game all of a sudden becomes no fun. Well, those guys keep taking the ball. I can't make a shot. I'm never open. They're never open. What am I supposed to do? Run the play. <laughs> It'll get your guys open. And when it happens... Oh, they have so much fun. All of a sudden, the guy gets the ball, he turns, and there's nobody there. They don't know what to do. They kind of, shoot! Shoot the ball! <laughs> but that's, it's watching them go through that and realizing that they haven't gained the knowledge yet that practice is what makes the game fun. The discipline is what makes the game easy. Running these drills again and again and again is what makes the game fun because now they all know what's going on. They're all on the same page. And even though they have those defenders on them, press, pressing them, they know where to go with the ball. They can get the guy open and find the shot. They'll learn this as they grow older, as we'll see this morning with the Super Bowl. Or not this morning. Oh, <laughs> this afternoon or evening with the Super Bowl. We have the Giants and Patriots playing each other. <laughs> I really don't care about him this year. <laughs> There's a reason the Bears aren't in it. I think we all know. <laughs> I think it had something to do with some discipline training they needed. Uh, run a few more plays, maybe. Uh, <laughs> we could argue that all day. Uh, but the point is, these guys are very disciplined in what they do. There's a reason they're in the Super Bowl. Yes, they have some star players, but all the guys are on the same page. They know what's going on out there. They have practiced again and again and again. They have memorized the playbook. They've listened to their coaches. They've watched video. They've studied the other team. 
suddenly when they get out on the field, all of a sudden they notice this team's about to do an all-out blitz. The wide receiver looks down at the quarterback. The quarterback looks up, calls an audible, a different play. All 11 guys are on the same page, hopefully for them. But they all know this. They all recognize this because they've all been disciplined in their approach and in their practice. And when it runs, it's a beautiful thing to watch. And you can tell when one person is a little bit off. <laughs> but these guys also, for the last, I don't know how many months, most of their life now, they have put aside many things. They have put in hours upon hours of practice and of study for this moment, for this time, for this day. They've broken bad habits, some of them not enough, but they're not there today either. But they've also put aside other things that we would deem worthy, whether it be charity work, whether it be family life, whatever it may be. They've had to put a lot of that off to the side that they could get to this point today. Paul, in speaking to the Corinthians, is speaking a much the same language. He's saying he's trying to become all things to all people to save some. But he tells us to run the race to win it. Give up whatever does not advance the cause of the gospel. Do it all for the sake of the gospel, he writes. And he's writing to the Corinthians in Corinth about the time after he wrote. Corinth held what we might call today the world championships. It wasn't the Olympics. wasn't quite up there. But people came from all over the world to these championships held in Corinth. And that's why he's talking about running and boxing and all these other activities because that would hit home to the Corinthians. And they knew that the people there at the championships had to train for at least 10 months. That was one of the rules. They had to put everything aside and train for 10 months to get ready for these games. And so he's telling us as Christians, often we need to do the same thing. Put other things aside and train for the race that we're running. Now, if I can transition a little moment for a moment here. I want to go to Isaiah. Isaiah is talking to the Israelites before they're exiled to Babylon. He knows what's coming. He starts chapter 40 addressing, Will God save us? And we know those wonderful words, Comforts, comforts ye my people. Comfort my people is what God wants. Assure them that he will save us. Now at the end of chapter 40, he goes on to, can God save us? Can he save us? And why would he say this? Because he knows the Israelites will be in Babylon. There is a whole different culture. They have been relocated. They have been defeated. In the ancient Near East, often this meant that the other nations, God, is superior. So here the Israelites have lost. Now they're wondering... Is our God really the right God? We just got defeated by this nation that worships Marduk. Maybe he's the right God to worship. We've just now been brought to Babylon to live there. Our names have been changed. Our temple in Israel was destroyed. Can God save us? In the ancient Near East, once a people were exiled, they never came back. That was it. They were done as a nation. 
they were gone. Israel had 70 years of this to face. 70 years of wondering, can God save us? Will he save us? They cry out to God. You and I are in the same position here in America. We read the Bible. We see all the acts that God has done in the past. Wonderful things. But what about me? What about here and today, here and now? Is God still the God of creation? Is God still in control? I don't know. I see everything going on around me. I see the terrorism and the wars. I see the natural disasters. And on the home front, I see pain. I see suffering. Horrible things and diseases happening. I see abortion killing 53 million babies. I see our nation forsaking God. Can God save us? Is he still ruling as God rules? That's where Isaiah brings in God. And he brings in, he talks about the rulers and authorities. He's talking to the Israelites in Babylon who are under the authority of these rulers and princes. And he calls them nothing. He uses the Hebrew word for formless, pointing us back to Genesis 1, 2. The earth was formless and God created. Rulers often corrupt societies. Rulers often lead nations into darkness. But Isaiah reminds us that they are nothing. Before this, in verses 12 to 21, it's a beautiful account of God as creator. Talking about holding the waters in the palm of his hand. And he compares the nations to like a drop in a bucket in the palm of his hand. Think of a drop in a bucket in the amount of the water in this world. He's saying that's the size of these nations. They are nothing. They are infinitesimally small. Don't fear them. Don't fear what they say. Don't fear what they do. God is the one that controls them. And he talks about them being like dust that he blows away. And the word that Isaiah uses, to, the word for blow, the only other place it's used in Hebrew is Exodus 15, verse 10, where God blew on the Red Sea to part the waters to save the Israelites. Isaiah is using these words on purpose to point them back to what God has done to remind them that God will once again save. The same as we point back to what he did with the Israelites, bringing them out of Babylon, that points us to Christ who came into this world to save, that points us to now. Well, can God still? Yes, he can because they're nothing. This world is nothing. The powers are nothing in this world. He calls each star by name. How would he forget us? He knows every hair on our head. Of course, he's remembered us. He's the Lord of the universe. He's the Lord of history. How often we forget about that. And we begin to talk about God. God's goal is to get us to talk to him through making us righteous, repairing his, the relationship that we broke through the gift of faith. God is the creator of the world. And thus, because he is eternal, 
He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can confidently hope in him no matter what this world throws at us. But if I've lost you for a moment here, come back to me. (laughs) Come back to me. I want you to take away this sentence, please. As we wait on the Lord in this world, I want you to know that to wait on God is not simply to stare at your watch or mark the days off of your calendar, wondering, will he answer my prayer? I've brought prayers to him every single day for what seems like years now. To wait on God is not simply to stare at your watch or calendar, but rather is to live in confident expectation of his action on our behalf. As we offer up prayers to God, to wait on his answer is not to watch the seconds go by and wondering if he heard us. To wait on God is a way of life. To live in a confident expectation of his work for us. I don't know if I can say that enough. Living in confidence, confidence, expectation of his work on your behalf. This is a disciplined reliance on God through faith, the faith that he gives us. And that's where I want to key in again back to our third grade basketball team, back to the Super Bowl. That disciplined reliance. How do we become disciplined to rely on God? As the teams go through practice, we have worship. This is where God gives us faith. This is where he strengthens us and trains us, renews us, that we would run and not grow weary, walk and not faint, that we could be lifted up on wings like eagles. This is where he does all that work. But we don't just practice. You've got to read the playbook, right? You've got to know the plays. The Bible. We've got to be in the Word. What does God want for us? What does he want us to hear and to know? We've got to listen to the coaches. Can we be coaches? <laughs> so I said, I'd like to be the assistant coach. <laughs> listen to your pastors as they proclaim the Word, as you come in for counseling, as you come in for a word of hope. But we've got to study video, too. We've got to know what's the enemy trying to do. What have we been doing? We've got to go to Bible study, hear in depth what God has to say. You've got to know the enemy. You've got to know what Satan is up, what he's trying to do, what the world is out to do, what your own flesh is trying to get you to do. If you're not aware of what's going on around you, you're going to run right into that defender and wonder, well, how do you get that breakaway for a layup? How'd, I don't know. Finally, we've got to call the play. We have to pray to God. What do you want me to do today, Lord? Lord, I would like to do this. Lord, help me with this. I give you thanks, Lord, for that. We have to become disciplined so that we can rely on God. It's not going to happen by just showing up on game day and expecting everything to go well. It's not going to happen by sitting at home and wanting to play games. It's not going to happen without some discipline on our part, running through the plays again and again. Pastor Mike last week talked about apathy. Apathy is what will kill you. Apathy is what Jesus spits out. 
it's the players on the team that don't care to be there. They just kind of grumble through it. Yeah, yeah, fine. Oh, fine. Okay. Yeah. You know what we do with those players in practice? I'm sure many of our coaches or parents know. Everyone on the baseline and run. <laughs> well, how much? Till I tell you to stop. <laughs> you get disciplined that time in terms of being punished so that you could reawaken to receive more training. Now, in the gospel lesson, I want to kind of do one more transition here because we know that nothing can defeat God's purpose for his people. He's got a reason for the discipline. He's got a reason to allow all the adversity to happen to us, to train us in the ways that we should go. Practice is not fun. You come home sweaty and tired and sore. It hurts. But when game day comes, you're ready and you're prepared and you can easily take on that blitz. You can easily take on the full court press. No matter what happens, you know how to get out of it. That's living in confident expectation. Not running around like a chicken with your head cut off. So I tell the kids. In our gospel lesson, Jesus heals many people, but then he, he leaves. The people are still seeking him, wanting him to heal more. And he leaves. We would wonder, well, why doesn't he heal everybody in the town? Why doesn't he just snap his fingers and let it be done? The purpose of Jesus coming, as he said, is to preach the good news to all the towns. It's to call them. That's the word preach, to call them. To get them on the team. He leaves to go elsewhere because that's the reason he came, to call us, not so that we could have an easy life here, but so that we could have life and have it abundantly, eternally. He has called us to give us life. God has given us skills and abilities. He's led us through experiences that have trained us and strengthened us. He's led us through adversities that have caused us to rely upon him all the more. He has brought us to this point today so that we could continue to run that race to win it. But not just us alone, for we are a community of faith. He's disciplined us to prepare us. And now it's our turn to become the coaches. It's our turn to pass on that training to others. It's our turn to discipline those growing up, our children, to discipline those who are lost and maybe have left the team, to discipline those who are lost and confused, who don't know what's going on in this world. I've heard Pastor Mike before, say that he still recites scripture from the King James Version. Even though, how many years ago was that that we switched over? Five or six. Five or six. Did that version come out when you were a little kid? Is that what happened? <laughs> and I've heard that from many other members too. When you recite scripture, when it comes to mind, it comes to you in the version that you learned growing up. Whether it be the small catechism or the Bible, you have that voice in your head, that old pastor from years gone by who's still pounding away in your mind, reminding you, disciplining you, training you. That's the training that we begin with and that sets the foundation. That's the training we have to give to our children in worship, 
they need to know what's going on and they need to hear these words again and again and again because later in life, when Satan puts on that full court press, when Satan blitzes and he hits them full frontal with all the adversity they could ever handle and more, do they have that disciplined reliance on God to pray and wait confidently, expecting him to act on their behalf? Or are they like the third grade basketball team that is just running around and you got the guy that's supposed to be down low with the ball at the top of the key and you're wondering how did he get up there? And you got three guys swarming around him and he's just curling up, you know, in a little ball. <laughs> how many people in your life do you see that have just curled up in that little ball and just hoping to hold on for their dear life to all that they have, not knowing how to get out of that situation? Now it's time for us who have been disciplined to go and train that they too may have that confidence that we have, that hope that we have, that life that we have. These drills, Sunday mornings, Tuesday afternoon, at home in prayer, at home reading scripture, catechism class, all these drills are to prepare us for the race that we are running. So that in the end, and I'll sum it up with this again, in the end as we wait on God, we don't simply stare at our watch wondering, can God save me? Will he act on my behalf? I'm waiting. I'm losing hope. No, we wait to live. We're living in confident expectation of his action on our behalf. Living with that disciplined reliance on God through faith that he has given us. The faith that he came into this world to preach and to give, that we might have life, and not a life balled up in a little fetal position, crying out to God, wondering what's going on, but to have life and have it abundantly. Peace, comfort, joy, so that when that past comes to us, we look and we go, oh, this is an easy shot. Boy, Satan got taken out back there, no problem. There are people in this life who will notice that you're different. Things are different. How, how are you able to handle this adversity? How are you living so joyfully amidst all this stuff that's going on in the world? I'm freaking out over here, and you're whistling a happy tune as you go about your work. What's the difference? You know the plays. You've studied the playbook. You know how the enemy is attacking. You have a disciplined reliance on God, and you're waiting for his action on your behalf with full confidence. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Lord, you came into this world and gave us life. You continue to come to us, protecting us, working in our lives, listening to our prayers, and giving us life filled with hope and joy and peace. Strengthen our faith, Lord, so that as we go out into the world, when Satan puts on his full defense, we can meet it confident that you have disciplined us and trained us and given us all that we need in this life to run the race to win. Lord, in your name we give you thanks and praise. Amen.